When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Labor strikes, huge surprises, and big misses. The Hollywood summer of 2023 is one we will not soon forget, and there's a lot to unpack here. I'm so pleased to have with me Ryan Fonder, who covers the business of Hollywood for the LA Times and is the author of the industry newsletter, The Wide Shot. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. So cool to be here. What a summer. Um, I want to start yeah. talking about some box office. Of course, Sunday, we had the big news that Barbie reached a billion globally at the box office. Gerwig makes history. Talk about the significance for the industry right now. Well, it's just massive. I mean, the industry really needed a boost of confidence after a summer that you've seen just a number of movies that were good. I mean, well-known franchises, pretty safe bets from the studios usually that just didn't pan out quite the way, like even Mission Impossible with a Rotten Tomato score that was in the 90s came in a little under expectations in terms of its opening weekend and hasn't held on as much as people like. So um, you started to see the questions again, like, are people going to the movies? Are we ever getting back to the kind of pre-2020 you know, level of, of box office and volume and revenue and all that? But this just really lit a fire. And it was... Uh, I don't know if you talked about this on the show before, but just the invigorating um a spectacle of people groups of friends dressed in pink going to the movie theaters some people you know decked out for for oppenheimer but you know it was i don't know going to going to see it at the grove opening weekend um in la is really just a party atmosphere <laughs> every restaurant's packed uh, everyone's getting drinks beforehand. Everyone's uh, staying after to hang out in the mall to talk about the movie. It was like, you know, it was, it was like going to the movies in the 90s again. And this is certainly an event. Do you think we'll be seeing more of this type of thing? Or is this just a one off? Uh, I mean, the, the, the more obvious takeaway is that it looks like Mattel is going to be cranking out um, toy brand movies uh, until the end of time or until something stops work. It doesn't work. And, you know, the Hot Wheels movie fails or the, or the, or the Uno movie can't get off the ground and they have to change strategies. But uh, that that may be the wrong lesson from this, because there is something very unique um about the about the the barbie phenomenon and just the fact that it was greta gerwig she had such a strong point of view she's making it she had a, a two stars in lead roles that like couldn't have been more perfectly cast um and had it and had a take and was able to uh bring it to life 
in this way that uh, I don't think anyone who saw rumors of a Barbie movie five years ago would have would have anticipated. And the fact that Greta Gerwig made history as the first solo directed movie by a woman to reach these box office numbers. Um, and it's one of 53 movies, right, that have reached a billion. What does this mean for going forward? It's great. I mean, Hollywood's always kind of looking at the latest example of something that worked and saying, okay, this is, this is, this is the breakthrough moment. This is the breakthrough moment. But, uh, you know, as, as, as I think, as I'm sure you've, you've pointed out and your listeners know, I mean, it's, it's difficult for, um, it's still difficult for female directors to, uh, get started even after they've had a successful film. Um, Gerwig's obviously uh, in, in a different category because she's already had, you know, a number of Oscar nominated movies and uh, it's extremely successful. Um, but, you know, it's always, it's always, okay, what's the next thing? And, 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 and is this going to translate into uh, studios giving uh, female directors more of a chance? You know, that might require a little bit of more change of mentality that's a little bit, little bit deeper than just looking at one box office. Box office number, but you know we can hope every every billion dollar every billion dollar blockbuster certainly counts or something. You mentioned uh, Mission Impossible. Were you surprised considering the maverick success that Tom Cruise had last year? I was. I thought there might have been kind of a Top Gun Maverick glow or halo after uh, after that movie was so successful and everyone, including Marty Scorsese, crowned Tom Cruise the savior of cinema. Uh, but it's, it's, as we've seen time and time again, it's not just the movie star, it's the role, it's the franchise. It's, you have to see it now in a theater sort of atmosphere that gets people to go, especially opening weekend. In terms of superhero movies, although there are certain films that did go well this year, say Guardians, for example, many really didn't live up to expectations like Flash. And these are movies both from DC and Marvel. Is there a superhero fatigue? I, I wrote a little bit about this a while ago when James Gunn and Peter Safran, the co-heads of DC Studios, unveiled their big slate uh, for eight to 10 year plan for DC studios and you know, flash and blue beetle are holdovers from a prior regime. So they can't take mm -hmm. like, all, all the blame for that. But one thing that James Gunn said, which is interesting, and I think he's at least partly right about this is that superhero fatigue is real, but it's because the movies aren't as good um, as people are hoping for. It's like superhero fatigue is real but it's more like bad of superhero movie fatigue is real the quality just hasn't been there for a lot of these films you know you look at um what was the what was the latest marvel oh it's a well ironically it's a guardians of the galaxy volume three went uh, really well it went pretty well and was yeah. a james gunn movie so but there was one before that that, that, that wasn't, wasn't not the shazam wasn't successful sequence. Okay, but yeah, in DC world, that's a good example too of something that just disappointed. And these critics' reactions and the audience reactions were like, okay, not only we've been here before with so many other movies, but also it's just it's it's wasn't wasn't the quality that we were expecting. I really think that quality matters a lot 
with these with these movies and basically every i don't think anything's critic proof fully critic proof anymore but what is the reason for the decline of quality here there's great people who want to make these movies what's happened there well there's or they're just there's a lot of lazy. things that are going on <laughs> I don't know about lazy. It, there could be some of that, but there's definitely, I mean, you, you're definitely seeing just so much volume because mm-hmm. there was a period of time when uh, Marvel was not just a movie studio anymore. They were putting out three or four movies a year with the uh, with the Avengers and everything like that. And they were also doing the same thing on Disney Plus with the TV shows. And they're cranking out two or three TV shows a year. It just became totally saturated. There's too much for the audience and there's too much for the creators too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't keep up. You, just just, just this week, uh, the uh, VFX workers, the visual effects workers at Marvel Studios said that they had, uh, had made a significant move to unionize. That they're going to hold a union election and um, they're, that's, that's a first for the VFX industry. Um, typically, that's not, um, typically they have not been represented by guilds. Now they're probably going to be uh, joining IATSE. So that's just a signal of like, guys, we need to pump the brakes here a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> and uh, maybe... Maybe maybe put maybe put out a few fewer of these things. So we take our time with it. Um, the, the the head of um, of Marvel's uh, VFX division lost her job. You know, a lot of the sort of speculation around that was that it had had something to do with some of the complaints about the quality of the VFX. Oh yeah, at, at studios. So. Um, but there were a lot of explanations there. That might be a bit of a tangent for, for this conversation. But uh, but do you no no nothing? Do you think that they will? <laughs> there are no tangents here. No okay. no tangents. <laughs> Go ahead. But do you think that they will put some breaks on these type of movies for a while? It does seem like I mean, Disney specifically. Bob Iger has said that he recognizes that it's been too much, too fast, and not mm-hmm. good enough. That has been the main problem for for Hollywood with a lot of these franchises is that there's been too much stuff and it's not good enough. So that was the problem with a lot of the, with a lot of the star Wars material um, that, that didn't do as well as people hoped. And really, I, I think, I think really hurt the brand. I think the, 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 the big people at the top, you know, they are obsessed with the stock prices and the stock prices do do go up when when these movies are greenlit and they come out Mm -hmm. but uh, but it does matter it does matter what the fans think not just the crazy fans but like the real the real yeah 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 yeah. what about a completely different genre the sort of um should i call them the sort of big adult dramas that were so oscar huge many years ago things like tar and fablemans and that category of movies right. seemed to struggle quite a bit last year. Um, we saw. Do you think that that's that mid-level big movie is going to have be difficult going forward? I don't know because it's hard to actually pinpoint a lot of examples of those movie those types of movies that have come out in theaters. Like, you mentioned Tar. Tar is a very specific kind of film. It's mm-hmm. a three-hour, basically solo. Uh, a character study about a not very likable um, person. It's like, th- kind of there, like there's... Oppenheimer. 
Well, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I should retract my statement. Three hour, yeah. um, now studios will only make uh, three hour uh, character studies of, 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 of un- unlikable characters. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is just, it is really on a film by film basis. And it did seem like in, in terms of Oppenheimer, I mean, you just had like the Christopher Nolan effect of it and, they marketed marketed that movie like crazy and felt like you, especially with the Barbenheim, Barbenheimer yeah. thing going on, you felt like you had to go. So I don't know. That gives me a little bit of hope. But also, also the Wes Anderson movie did pretty decent. Right. You know, Asteroid considering. City. Yeah. Asteroid City. That one did, that one did pretty well. And it's not considered you, you, you have these filmmakers that are brands unto themselves that, you know they're not as well known as the the toy Barbie or uh, or, or or Marvel as a brand, but they are recognizable names, and people know uh, when they put something out into the world, it's it's an event, it's something special. Meanwhile, something that's had huge success is the child trafficking drama Sound of Freedom, which has gone gangbusters at the box office. I haven't talked about this movie much on my show. So what is this and and what happened here? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a film starring uh, Jim Caviezel from uh, Passion of the Christ, um, you know, sort of the, the, the uh, faith based, the original faith based mega hit. Uh, that had this kind of phenomenal, phenomenal groundswell of support from from you know, faith-based communities and um, you know, sort of age- adjacent audiences, whatever that means. the The film is about you know, is 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 about tra- child trafficking. It's uh, it's kind of become controversial because of past statements that the star has made that are sort of like very QAnon-y. and it's just taken off. It's uh, the the company behind it is this is this uh, firm called Angel Studios, and they have this interesting model where you know there's some group buying going on at theaters. There's some you know, wealthy individuals who will buy out theaters and and you know basically host free screenings. And there's this pay it forward aspect too, where at the end of the film. You see this kind of this, this image of, of Jim Caviezel, the, the star, and telling the people who just watched the movie, "Thank you so much for coming out to the theaters." You know, this is the kind of thing that we see in a lot from from movie stars and in, in, in screenings. This is a little different because he'll come on at the end and say, "Thank you for coming to the theaters. Um, if you like what you saw and you want to make a difference, you can buy a ticket for a stranger and let them see this for for free." And that's apparently been happening quite a lot and um, and boosting the numbers a bit. So there's 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 a couple things going on. There's like a, there's clearly a a groundswell of grassroots support for this film. And there's also this sort of unique aspect of it that is getting more people in the door. And I think that's something that, you know, for certain movies, Hollywood and other studios could could copy. You know, this kind of like, hey, if you like this, get mm-hmm. something, buy a ticket, buy a ticket for someone else to see it. So this could be a model that they're paying attention to, irregardless of the controversy surrounding this movie, so to speak. The business. I would be, aspect. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it, it's not like, it's not like the group buying thing is completely original. Like even 
you had group screenings for movies that had all kinds of kind of cause related uh, cause related aspects to it and you know black panther like that a big part of a big part of the phenomenon was that there were um there were people who bought out full theaters for for folks to go see it because it was such an event um so this kind of thing kind of feeds on itself a little bit but yeah i'm, I'm sure hollywood executives are, are looking at this and saying oh, how can we uh how can we how can we do this and what about this audience sir that is going to this movie what i imagine is a conservative group at least the ones that are paying for the screenings and things like that is this a group of viewers that the studios will you know want access to and want to make more for yeah i mean there's been even even top gun maverick i think like you know sort of militaristic gung-ho movie it cut across political lines in a way that um in a way that a lot of movies don't necessarily the thing that i always think about is that hollywood movies are so apolitical most of the time like the blockbusters are so down the middle and trying not to offend trying not to offend anybody that it's it's really hard to read a lot of political leanings into it at all and so there is a sense that the kind of Christian conservative audience is underserved. There have been a lot of specifically faith-based movies that have been made and some studios have been built around that idea of, um, of catering to that underserved audience. Um, the quality hasn't always been there um, on, on the Hollywood level. That's, that's for sure. But this, this film in particular has, uh, when it first came out in any way, actually did quite well with 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 critics it was you know, competently made it was um interesting story and you know it, it benefited from from that so it, it, i still think that hollywood tends to try to avoid controversy as much as possible i just want to get back to what you wrote that uncertainty is back now that these strikes have gone to let's see the wga strike is getting to day Since 100 May. yeah i think this week and what that means is that, especially with the actor strike now, is that productions aren't being made. Uh, the actors can't go out and promote the uh, fall films. And, you know, if this stretches into December, I mean, who knows how that affects Oscar season and everything else. The What you're starting to see is studios weigh the costs and benefits of you know, holding their films in theaters on their release dates in November, October, September, or whether it's so, whether the film is so dependent on star power and so dependent on, you know, having, let's just say Zendaya or somebody walking the red carpet that they can't release the movie without having that benefit, without having the star be able to do junkets and things like that. So challenges moved out. The Luca Guadagnino film was supposed to premiere at, uh, I think, Venice. Venice. And yeah, as its release date has moved into, into next year. And uh, Sony put out a release saying that it was pushing Ghostbusters and Craven the Hunter into uh, 2024 as well. So yeah, that, we haven't seen that from other studios, though, in a real way. Sony's been kind of the, the, the one that's, that's made those moves. 
there's been a lot of talk about um, Dune 2 and what Warner Brothers might do there. It seems like it's from, from what I hear, they're, they're sticking with their day. Uh, Warner Brothers executives that I talked to are adamant that they are sticking with, uh, with their fall release date for that one. So we'll, we'll see, but it'll, it'll be an interesting moment. It'll be an interesting thing for me to watch because we'll get to see uh, how important like a star driven press campaign really is for, for film and box office and all that, or whether Hollywood's just been doing this thing with the junkets and the red carpets for so long that it's just habit and we can't, um, and we can't get out of it. And I just don't know, but yeah, there's no question that, that, that there's, films that are moving from fall to to next year and that's going to have an impact on on the momentum for theaters right now and in terms of the strikes um i've had a few shows about those but on friday um the wga met with the amptp for the first time since may and by all accounts what i've read it didn't go too well (laughs) nothing Mm -hmm. much seemed to have come out of that big question but what is going to get us out of this do you think um they seem so far apart what do you see happening that could sort of move them together or do you some someone has to i mean the, the, the sides have to compromise and right now what's different what's difficult is they there are there are two buckets of of issues in the strikes as far as i as far as I'm concerned, there's the kind of normal union, just pure money stuff. That's like, okay, we're raising living wage wages and inflation. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're figuring out the um, contributions to the healthcare programs and all that kind of stuff. That's totally normal union stuff that there's always, there's always a difference and kind of figure it out. The things that are more difficult are, are changes that are, Go, going to the fundamental problems and changes that have affected the industry over the last couple of years. So the writers' demands to have um, minimum staffing requirements, like a certain number of, of, of writers per episode required to be staffed on a show in a writer's room. To, to studios, that is just a non-starter, and they're totally opposed to that. And it's really hard to see how you compromise on the issue without one side just kind of caving and, and dropping the whole thing. And the other aspect is this issue uh, that are is affecting both both strikes is um, the writers and actors demanding basically revenue participation. So they want to be able to participate in the success of a show um, that does really well on streaming. And there are a number of problems with that. One is like a lot of people, like, don't even the showrunners in, in, in certain instances, like there was a piece on the Ankler where the showrunner from Dickinson uh, on Apple TV plus, like they don't even know how well their shows are doing yeah the transparency is zero in many in most cases yeah in most cases i mean if your show does really well and it ends up on the sort of public reporting that goes goes up on netflix and netflix wants to brag about how great your show is doing then 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 great um then you have some idea of how many people watched your watched your show but uh for for a lot of these companies it's very 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 lacking um in terms of data 
um, there's a lot of ideas of how to create sort of a residual program for streaming based on the success of a show, but I don't think there's any like there's it's it's hard to come up with a one size fits all for that mm-hmm. for that issue. So that's another one where it's like okay, you're either gonna do it or you're not gonna do it. Like, what's the deal? And AI is the same thing. It's like trying to get the studios to commit to not using AI. Well, they're already using AI and, and other companies are doing the same thing. So, um, you know, it's hard. It's also hard to see, you know, what kind of what those protections look like. And those uh, those those worries are really understandable because you see how uh, actors are, are, are having their likenesses used, and mm-hmm. if that happens without consent or without uh, proper part- uh, proper some sort of regulation around yeah. regulation, yeah, yeah, it has to be regulated. So, so it can be kind of so from their perspective, it's scary stuff. You have to work it out. Do you see it dragging on? I mean, the studios seem to, or at least at the beginning, when when we were getting these anonymous sources, that they were basically the studios were basically willing to wait for writers to lose their homes. It sounded like that they could take this for, you know, on for a pretty long time. What do you think? Was that just scare tactics or? Well, the studios, I actually wrote about this today, which is that the, there's been this kind of narrative bandied about that the studios are, uh, that this, these strikes are a gift to these studios because they're saving all this money. Well, they are, and they are saving money. It is going to be significant, and it comes at a time when Wall Street is looking at these studios and demanding more free cash flow, bigger profits, and it comes after a time when studios, frankly, spent too much creating a lot of content for streaming. So it's overinvestment followed by a pullback. That was probably going to happen anyway. The strike is helping with that in a way, in this kind of like taking a sledgehammer to a to a nail kind of way but um i think the studios would like to be a little bit more strategic in the way that they uh cut costs and uh this this and the savings that they're having now are going to be super ephemeral they're going to evaporate as as soon as the strike ends because they're going to ramp up content spending again and what's going to happen is that there's going to be long-term consequences for a prolonged strike. You know, you're already facing declining TV ratings. The fall TV season's totally wiped out. You're going to see more people cut the cord, cut the cable cord, and give up their satellite subscriptions because there's not that much to watch on mm-hmm. on TV right now. Especially just look at the broadcast uh, schedule for fall. It's all it's all reality and reruns of Yellowstone on CBS. <laughs> Um, it's not, it's not great. So that's going to be, if, if it's a gift to anyone, it's a gift to Netflix because it's just, it's handing customers over to your competition, your legacy studio. So just ballpark, when, what do you think? Was it going to go end in September or are we going to see this all the way through 2023? Um, Warner Brothers Discovery said its model was, uh, was September. That seems wildly optimistic at this point considering yeah. they're not even talking and they can't even have a successful talk about talking <laughs> um the, 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 the i'm laughing but keep, it's so absurd <laughs> it is insane um i am i keep hearing december is kind of the new guesstimate um mm-hmm. it, maybe it gets done earlier than that so i mean who, who knows i mean i'm sure there's some like self-preservation thinking in, in there it was just like let's let's 
um, <laughs> I'm sure if it goes on till December, then you start eating wow. into fall, like award season and, and all that stuff. So that would be pretty bad, but uh, for the industry. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing right now. Um, I have one more thing I want to talk, ask you about regarding what we've been reading about a lot this summer, and that's China. It seems that um, Chinese audiences are kind of gravitating towards movies that are made at home rather than Hollywood movies, mm. and that this has been a big shift. Um, what What is this about, and what is the impact on Hollywood? This has been happening for quite a long time, and I've written about I've written about it a bit. Um... Yeah, my 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 friend and and counterpart of the Wall Street Journal, Eric Schwartzel, has written he has a, a book, book about the, it. Yeah, it was quite red good. Red carpet, um, I think it's called, right? Red carpet. Yeah, yeah, China's, red carpet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 impact on on Hollywood. I mean, that's the easy one. It's like Hollywood spent so much money, uh, and and you know, greenlit movies with certain budgets uh, a number of years ago with the assumption or on the bet that they would get that the, that this gangbusters uh, box office explosion from China would continue. And now they're, they're seeing the consequences of when that bet kind of went sideways because you're right, and the, the, the Chinese audiences are not looking to go out to see the latest Mission Impossible or, or, or the latest Hollywood thing. They're, they want to see things that are made by studios in China, which totally makes sense. And that's also because they've started making more, right? I mean, that they've sort of been saturated with Hollywood movies, and now their own movies are really yeah building up their industry, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's a that's 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 a hundred percent right. I mean, and and the irony of it is that Hollywood had a very uh, prominent role in helping to build that industry <laughs> up. So <laughs> similar to how it built up Netflix by, by licensing, um, by licensing a bunch of movies to, to, to the platform uh, that mm-hmm. ended up becoming their biggest rival. The U S studios helped, helped teach uh, Chinese studios how to, how to, how to make movies that would, that would do well in the, in, on the mainland. Oh, the irony. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. Um, that uh yeah i mean for for a while it worked out quite well because uh the box office was was quite good for uh for the u.s studios in china but now will we more and more see studios who maybe are not counting on china to begin with they're gonna have to i mean there's also there's already it, at this point it's not worth it for them because they have to go through all the regulatory issues mm-hmm. they have to censor the films like if china's gonna ask um you know, the Chinese Communist Party is going to ask Sony to basically redo the end of the Spider-Man movie so it doesn't take place on the top of the uh, of the Statue of Liberty, then that's going to be a little bit too much to ask. And that's the kind of thing that Hollywood's had to worry about trying to get movies into China. So you spend all this money and you end up not even getting your movie in. Mm-hmm. Um, now the problem is you get the movie in, but it doesn't do any business um so yeah I, I think i think hollywood has to definitely has to take that into account there are some um there's some examples of co-productions that have done pretty well the meg was an example of a you know, cross-border china hollywood co-production that did really good business in both countries and i think the Meg two was also doing pretty well um in, in both countries so there's some 
some hope there. I guess that you can uh, tap that audience if you're an American studio. Finally, Ryan, um, a couple of newsletters back, you were writing a quote, the movie business needs to get out of its own way. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, uh, yeah. So it's a little bit of what we were talking about earlier with mm-hmm. the problem of the uh, of just the, the strike and the, the, the deadlock and everything moving out. But what I was really focusing on was this this idea that you have to have that everything has to be ip that everything has to be franchises that you you can't really (laughs) what what needs to happen is that um studios need to be comfortable with taking risks again and because the the only way that something like barbie or oppenheimer happens is that the studios find talent find talented filmmakers who have a vision and you know this obviously isn't always going to work but is when it does you know you get out of the way you, you you let them cook and you let them make something great and that's really the only way you get something really unique that's going to set set off the uh, set off the industry like this so yeah again sometimes hollywood tends to take the wrong lessons these events Quite often, but hopefully this summer will, or at least these a few things that happen this summer will be, you know, something to look. This time will be different. This time Hollywood will change. That's right. (laughs) Women will be get a whole bunch of budgets and be yes, absolutely. Give Jane Campion a uh, you know hundred million dollar yeah uh, big marketing budget and uh, big marketing push. Let her go. Yeah, Yeah. a a real theatrical release. That'd be great. We'll um, see. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan, thank you so much for this. And uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find Wide Shot and, and read your work? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Wide Shot. I think I can't remember the URL, but uh, you know, just Google Wide Shot LA Times. Find it on the LA Times website. It comes out every Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning, and it's completely free whether you subscribe to the LA Times or not. But I encourage you all to subscribe to the LA Times. Not yes. just reload on us, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much to Ryan Fonder. Make sure to check out the wide shot over at the LA Times. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. See you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.